0: We do indeed want to recognise you as the great God, a great God of the one who created the whole universe, yet also a great God who has intervened in this world in the most remarkable way. Uh, Indeed, who has had your hand upon the world since the moment it was first created and yet has done something amazing in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. And we pray we'd understand that better now, that we may be able to sing with even more enthusiasm that you are the great God, most worthy of praise. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, do please sit down. And let me add my welcome to that of Jason's just a little bit earlier in the service and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, the reading that Anthony has just read for us. It's page 1089, page 1089. You'll find a Bible in front of you. Uh, I'm sure, or nearby to you. It will certainly help you, I think, to have the Bible open in front of you so that you know uh, that what I'm saying is from the Bible and not just my own thoughts. It's John chapter 20, uh, page 1089. And we think about these amazing truths that we've been thinking about already on this Easter day, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Well, Mary said in verse 18, I've seen the Lord. At the end of verse 8, John saw and believed. It was about a year ago that I visited a man who'd just been diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. Joseph Fock was his name. He became ill suddenly and quite unexpectedly. He'd been a fit man until this suddenly came upon him. Three months later, I conducted his funeral. In those months between his diagnosis and his death, it became increasingly difficult and painful for Joseph to speak So as I sat with him in those months, he he didn't say much at all, but when he did speak, it was always worth hearing. And I remember vividly him saying to me, Paul, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be with my Lord. See, Joseph was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph believed in the thing we're thinking about today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because of Jesus' resurrection, Joseph knew that because he trusted in Jesus, that he would be with Christ after death that there would be no more suffering or pain or death or mourning. And that is the wonderful good news of Easter Sunday. And that indeed is why the message of Easter is relevant to every man and woman and boy and girl who ever walks planet Earth. Because sooner or later, death will catch up with each one of us. We always think it's going to be later, but it will come sooner or later. In the face of death, Joseph had total confidence in life beyond the grave and that confidence did not come from a vague, wishy-washy, unsubstantiated hope. It wasn't him whipping up something inside him to say, if only I could believe that there was something there. I was speaking to another friend last year. His dad died in the summer of 2004. His dad was a believer. And the confidence of the resurrection was wonderfully comforting for him and his whole family. In the days after his dad's death, a neighbour popped in to see how the family were doing very kindly. And my mum's friend told the neighbour of her confidence that our husband was now with the Lord. And the neighbour rather than dismissively said, well, well, that's a nice thought. Well, I want to ask this evening, is that all it is? Is that all it is, a nice thought to get us through death? Is that all that Easter Sunday is, a nice thought? If it is, then frankly we are all wasting our time this evening. We're celebrating something that didn't happen. We're singing about something that isn't true. We are complete fools and we should be pitied for even coming here this evening. Is it just a nice thought? No, says John, as he lays out the evidence for the resurrection in his gospel. And if you're taking notes, then here's the first point. Peter and John saw and believed in verses 1 to 8. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. See, it is clear as we read through John's gospel that none of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Mary certainly wasn't. She went to the graveyard on that first Easter Sunday morning expecting to find the dead body of Jesus encased in a tomb with a huge boulder in front of the entrance. And so when she arrived there to find the stone rolled away and the body got gone, she jumped to what she thought was the only logical conclusion that body snatchers had robbed the grave. So, verse 2, she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's code for John, the one who wrote this gospel. And we read in verse 1 that it was early in the morning. So you can picture the scene. There was Mary waking the neighbours as she was banging on Peter and John's door, as she dragged them out of bed, still in their pyjamas, at some unearthly hour. I don't suppose that they were amused at all, but no doubt they came round pretty quickly as Mary broke the news to them. Do you see the news there? Halfway through verse 2, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John got to the tomb first. Being the younger man, he was probably fitter. And when he arrived, we read verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Picture the scene, John and Peter at the entrance to the tomb. And what did they see? Well, let's be sure this evening, they did not see a body. Mary was right about that point. The body was gone. And that is very important for us to note. Because down through the years, despite all the evidence, people have tried to explain away the resurrection. Some have even suggested that it was only a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection at all, that Jesus' spirit was raised from the dead. Now, apart from that going from the clear evidence here, it's such a foolish argument. How can you see a spiritual resurrection? You can't. If it was only Jesus' spirit that was raised, Peter and John would have looked into the tomb and seen the dead body of Jesus and concluded that Jesus was dead. You can't see a spiritual resurrection. Others have explained it away as an emotional resurrection, a a psychological event in the lives of the disciples. But again, the point is clear. The body was gone. So was Mary right? Had the body been stolen? Well, crucially, John tells us the tomb was not empty. Now, I wonder if if you've been around Christian things for a while, you'll know we often talk about the empty tomb. That's not correct. The tomb was not empty. Crucially, it was almost empty. See, look again at verse 6. Halfway through, Peter saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. It wasn't an empty tomb. There was something there. What was there? The grave clothes that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had wrapped around Jesus' body. They were still in the tomb and Peter saw them. And the verb there to see in verse 6 is thereo, the root of our word theory. The point is this, Peter not only saw the strips of linen, he considered carefully what he saw and it told him so much. Yes, the body was gone. But what he saw told him Mary must be wrong. The body hadn't been snatched or taken away by anyone. The tomb had not fallen foul of body snatchers, nor had the authorities removed the body and put it somewhere else for safekeeping. See, in verse 5 and verse 7, we read that the linen that had been used to wrap Jesus' body was lying there. And the word lying could just as easily be translated collapsed. The wrappings, that the burial cloths were exactly as they had been around Jesus' body, except they had fallen flat. They hadn't been unwound, or thrown into a corner, or taken off and folded up. They were still wound around, but flattened, as if the body of Jesus had just passed right through them. And then they'd gone... (laughs) And then there was the head covering, the cloth, verse 7, folded up by itself and separate from the linen. And the word folded is actually twirled. It was still in the shape of a turban, really. It too had not been unwrapped. So do you see what Peter saw? And do you see what it told him? And do you see what John saw that caused him to believe, verse 8? John went inside the tomb, he saw and believed. Well, what was it that he saw and believed? And the verb in verse 8, to see, means to understand. What is it that he now understood? You know, when when somebody explains something to you, you say, oh, now I see. That's the word here in verse 8. But do you see what John saw, what he understood? Just imagine, just imagine if we could ask the angels in heaven to, to bring John to us this evening as our special guest, to have him as a guest speaker. Imagine I could interview him. It would go something like this, I think. John, uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, Now, tell us more about that first Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday morning. As he stood here, I think he'd say something like this. Well, it's so good to be with you at Christ Church on this special Sunday evening. (laughs) Uh, Oh, look, I'll never forget what I saw when I looked into Jesus' tomb. Mary had told me that the body was gone. Peter and I grabbed our clothes. We changed as quickly, quickly as we could. We rushed to the tomb. I got there first, but I didn't go in. And then Peter arrived. And as we looked at the tomb we couldn't believe our eyes it wasn't just that the body was gone mary had told us that already it was the grave clothes as i looked at them it dawned on me the way they were still round around but with no body inside them as i looked at them i can remember thinking now i get it i understood then what jesus had been telling us that he had risen I saw that the body couldn't have been taken by the body snatchers or anyone else for that matter, not with the grave clothes as they were. And why would body snatchers do that anyway? They would have kept the burial clothes. The spices were so valuable. No, no one could have taken the body and left the grave clothes as they were intact. The headpiece still twirled around, the strips of linen still forming a cocoon. As I looked, it dawned on me. Jesus' body had risen right through them, and I thought, now I see. I saw and believed. And then I'd say, Oh John, thank you very much indeed. That's very helpful. And that, of course, is why the stone had been removed. Not to let Jesus out, but to let Peter and John see in. So that they could see the almost empty tomb. So question, do you see? Do you get it? Do you understand? Verse 8 John saw and believed. Of course he did. Of course he believed. If Jesus had risen from the dead, then. Well, then Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is the Lord in human flesh. He is God indestructible. Of course he believed. And John says, Can you believe? Yes, you can. Do you believe? Indeed, that's why there were two witnesses here, Peter and John, because in a Jewish court of law, for evidence to be admissible, it would have to be agreed upon by two witnesses. But at this point, I can hear some of you quite reasonably saying, it's all very well for Peter and John to believe. They saw. If only I saw, then I too would believe. Seeing is believing, after all, isn't it? Well, don't be fooled. You see, seeing is not necessarily believing. Do you remember Mary? Mary saw and she didn't believe. This is the second point, if you're taking notes, verses 10 to 18. Mary saw and she didn't believe. You see, as we look at dear Mary, John tells us that it's not seeing but understanding that matters. That's been his point so far. It wasn't what Peter and John saw, but that they understood what they saw. And it is so easy to get the wrong end of the stick, to come to wrong conclusions, I wonder if you ever sent an email to the wrong address. It's so easy to do, isn't it? Just one little dot in the wrong place or one little letter out of place. It's so easily done. I was told a story about the dangers of that uh, last year. It involved a couple from Minneapolis in the north of the USA who decided to go to Florida in the south to celebrate their 20th wedding anniversary and to enjoy some sunshine. Romantically, they booked to stay in the same hotel they'd gone to for their honeymoon 20 years earlier. The couple now were both professionals with hectic lives and they weren't able to completely coordinate their schedules. So the husband travelled down to Florida on the Thursday with his wife flying down the next day. The husband checked into the hotel and there was a computer in his room so he decided to send his wife an email. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address and without realising sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a church minister of many years and had died of a heart attack. Returning from the funeral, the widow decided to check her email, expecting messages of condolence from friends and relatives. But after reading the first message, she collapsed. Uh, The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen which read, "'To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived.'" And the email went on like this. I know you're surprised to hear from me, but they have computers here now. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived, I've checked in, and I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is, un- is un- as uneventful as mine was. P.S. P.S. sure is hot down here. <laughs> well, it is so easy to get the wrong message. It is so easy to misunderstand what is right before your eyes. It's a terrible uh, way of getting in a good gag, isn't it? But it's a good gag. Forget the gag, it is so easy to get the wrong message. It's not what you see, but understanding that matters. That's John's point here as we look at Mary. As, verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes, Mary, verse 11, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. You see, like Peter and John, Mary had seen the almost empty tomb. But she hadn't understood it. She still, at this point, she still thought that body snatchers had taken Jesus' body away. In verse 12, she even saw two angels and she still didn't get it. In verse 14, she saw Jesus and she still didn't get it. We think seeing is believing. She saw everything she could possibly see. She got completely the wrong end of the stick, though. And in verse 15, looking at Jesus, she thought he was the gardener. The point is this, you can see and not understand. You and I could have been there and still not believed. It's not seeing, you see, but understanding that leads to believing. And that's why everyone Mary met in these verses asked her questions. They're asking her questions to help her to understand what's going on. And whenever that we see Bible questions, it's so helpful if we answer them too. See, in verse 13, the angels ask Mary, why are you crying? Well, at a glance, it seems such an inappropriate question to ask a grieving woman. What are these angels thinking of? Don't they know why Mary's beside herself? She's bereaved, for goodness sake. Is everyone in heaven that insensitive? Well, is it an inappropriate question? Of course, it isn't. The angels aren't buffoons. They've been sent to help Mary, to help her grasp the situation. And from heaven's perspective, why was she crying? For the angels, this was a day of great rejoicing. Jesus had risen, death was defeated. This is not a day for crying at all. If only Mary knew. If only she knew that Jesus was risen from the dead, she wouldn't be crying. She'd be ecstatic, over the moon, elated. It's a great question, isn't it? Why are you crying? The point is, once we've engaged with Jesus' resurrection, there need no be, need be no crying. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. But if you don't understand that, of course you'll be beside yourself. And what is true for Mary is true today. If you don't know that Jesus is risen, deep down you will be beside yourself. I mean, if you'll think about it, you will be unable to make sense of life, certainly unable to face death. I love this uh, autobiography, John McEnroe's autobiography. Uh, he was a sort of a boyhood hero in a sort of uh, in a strange way because he, uh, he was such a scamp on the, on the, on the uh, tennis court, wasn't he? But I love playing tennis. And I used to love watching McEnroe, if it wasn't uh, for his uh, outbursts, for his brilliant tennis playing. And I love this autobiography because it is so honest about so many things. He sort of wears his heart on his sleeve. And he's so honest, not least of all, about uh, his fear of death. Uh, You'll see it if you read it, uh, this fear of death coming again and again, all the way through the book. He's a New Yorker. And the book opens with his thoughts unfolding on the morning of 9 11 Listen to this. Somehow the enormity of the situation hadn't sunk in yet. Perhaps it had something to do with my years of travelling as a tennis player when I'd been forced to put plane crashes out of my mind just so I could keep flying every week. As a group, tennis players never discuss this kind of thing, the way race car drivers don't like to talk about fatal wrecks. Besides, when you're young, you feel invulnerable. I don't feel invulnerable anymore. He wouldn't discuss plane wrecks, plane crashes, because he couldn't face that, the question of death. Later in the book, he speaks of one of his high points in, in life when he'd burst onto the tennis scene by reaching the semi-finals of Wimbledon, virtually from nowhere, and he says this, I couldn't wait to call Stacy. Stacy was his girlfriend of the time. I couldn't wait to call Stacy. I just experienced the greatest moment of my life and I wanted to share it with her. I phoned and said, "Stacy, I got to the semifinals at Wimbledon." And then she said, "My father died a couple of days ago." It put things in perspective in a hurry," he says. Later on in his life, he speaks of being staggered and of being numb on hearing of the sudden death of his friend and tennis player, Vitas Gerolitis. He was only 40 and still a fit man when he suddenly died. See, John McEnroe had everything. Success, wealth, love. Well, he didn't always have love, but he got it eventually. Yet he has no answers to death. Of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. And if you read the book, you'll see it hangs over him And at just the most inopportune moment, it raises its ugly head and spoils the high points of life. To quote McEnroe, death puts things in perspective. Death puts this cloud over everything. You can't face it and it stops you making sense of life. As Derek Kidner wrote, if every card in our hand will be trumped, does it matter how we play? And so even the best bits of life are tainted by the thought of our mortality, if we will only give it a thought, it is enough to make you weep. But on Easter Sunday morning, the angels and then Jesus Himself asked Mary, "Why are you crying?" Because there is no need to cry anymore when you face death. Well, that's not to say that Christians don't die. Uh, that Christians don't cry. Of course, we do when loved ones die. But it doesn't hang over us anymore because Jesus is risen. Death is defeated. So, verse 13, Mary, why are you crying? The answer's obvious. Mary's crying because she still doesn't believe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. She still thinks that Jesus' body is somewhere to be found. Is that where you're at on this? Do you think that if we could go to Jerusalem and find the right tomb and dig deep enough, eventually we'd find the bones of Jesus? Listen, the body was gone. The only thing left in the tomb were the grave clothes and no one ever produced the body to refute the staggering claim of the apostles that Jesus is risen. The almost empty tomb tells us that Jesus is risen. But until you understand that, there will always be tears because death looms. It's hanging over us, waiting to ruin everything. But Easter Sunday says it doesn't have to be that way. Why are you crying? The angels asked Mary the question Jesus did too in verse 15 and then he asked a second question in verse 15. Who is it you're looking for? Of course, he knew the answer. Again, the question was for Mary's benefit to get her to think, to get her to understand, to get her to see. Mary was looking for a dead body. Mary was looking for a man, a man who died. She should have been looking for Jesus who is risen. And again, how do you answer that question? Who are you looking for? So you've come this here this evening and we're thrilled that you have, but, but what have you come looking for? What kind of Jesus? A good man, a distinguished teacher, an inspirational leader, an example to follow, a remarkable prophet. What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? A man who died? Or the authentic Jesus who rose from the dead? Look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's just a dead man. No, don't bother looking for him. Don't bother following him. Don't come back next week. But if he's risen, well then there's so much more. And if he's risen, if you put your life in him, you can be sure of life beyond the grave. Well, Peter and John saw and believed because they understood Mary saw and didn't believe because she didn't understand. So where does that leave us? Thirdly, we don't have to see in order to believe. Or to put it another way, it's not seeing but understanding that means we can believe. See, we didn't have to be there. Look at verse 9. I'll read from verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John actually is writing that verse against himself, verse 9. He's saying, me and Peter, we hadn't understood from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, that part of the Bible, written hundreds of years before Jesus. He's saying, me and Peter hadn't understood that the scriptures taught that the Christ would rise from the dead. And he's saying, but if we had understood that from scripture, we wouldn't have needed to see Now, of course, that's what we have here. We have the Old Testament prophecies predicting that the Christ would rise from the dead. We have more. We have the New Testament eyewitness accounts Peter and John seeing the almost empty tomb, Mary seeing Jesus, and in the verses that follow, the other disciples seeing Jesus, Thomas touching Jesus, and the disciples even eating fish with Jesus. And John says, That's enough to believe. just flip over to to the end of the chapter John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 as we come to to a close the last two verses of chapter 20 John chapter 20 verse 30 Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but listen to this but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, all the evidence is here. All the evidence you need is here. And he said, I'm even explaining the events for you, which is, of course, what we really need. That's why John has written his gospel. There is a world of difference between knowing about these things and understanding them. And he says, I'll explain them to you as you read this gospel. And let me say to you, if I may, this evening, if you haven't understood this, will you give your mind to it? Indeed, do you not need to give some mind time to it? See, Christianity is based on facts. Belief, faith is not a vague, wishy-washy, unsubstantial hope. It is so much more solid than a nice thought. You can know for certain about these things as you read John's eyewitness account. And there would be no better use of your time than to look into these things. I want to encourage you to think about uh, after Easter, coming along to a course that we're going to run here. It's called Open to Question. Many people here have been through it. It's not at all uh, threatening. It's an opportunity for you to ask any question. Uh, We'll be looking at uh, actually Mark's gospel rather than John's gospel and thinking about uh, all that Mark lays out for us as evidence. I wonder if you've ever put your mind to these things. Have you ever thought about these things since becoming an adult? I meet a lot of people who, who have written off Jesus because the last time they thought about him was when they were in Sunday school. We don't do that with anything else in life, do we? We don't make our mind up as things as kids. This is so important. Will you put your mind to it? Will you give a few weeks after Easter to considering who Jesus is? You'll find in the, uh, in the rows in front of you, in the pews in front of you, and at the end of the rows, these contact cards that we've had uh, printed And we'd love it if you just uh, fill your name and address in and then tick the little box that says open to question. And you can give that to Jason or I as as you leave or you can post it back to us. There's the the postal address on the other side. And and then we'll get back to you telling you all the details of uh, the course that begins in May. Because I close, let me tell you, I went to church for years without understanding the resurrection. And I still remember to this day the first time I grasped it. I was overwhelmed by the good news. I was overwhelmed with the thought that if I trusted Jesus, I had for sure eternal life. Death no longer had its terrifying grip on me. Let me take you back a year to Joseph Fock. He is a great example to us this evening. Facing death, he had such confidence in the resurrection and let me tell you his his funeral was so much easier than many funerals that i've taken even though he was a relatively young man will your funeral be an easy one to take because we will know that you're now with the lord jesus in heaven have you understood the resurrection easter day tells us jesus is risen have you begun to share in his risen life Easter Day tells us Jesus has conquered death. Can you face death with complete confidence? With Jesus you can. Isn't that something? Let's pray together.